So we met in Denver. I'd been invited to a dinner party through an intermediary and we arrived and we got told by the person that had booked the table that actually, you know, you're not invited and I don't know the person that had invited you. And it turned out it had been like my friend of a friend had had invited us. So then we went and like sat on a side table and then everyone started arriving and you knew my friend. So you came over and hollered at us. Dude, absolutely. Yes, I remember Denver. Yeah, we're at this like, like crazy big place, man. And yeah, we had somebody that came in and made the reservations. And, and I don't know, man, that was kind of weird. I wish you just would have like um, kicked it with us, but you were like on the side, you and your other friend, which is a fantastic person, by the way. I'm not, I don't know if you want to give that person's, uh, you know, real idea, but fantastic person. But uh, yeah, man, that's the first time we actually hung out and met. I don't want to great. mention that because then she'll be forever tarnished as the person that wasn't invited to the dinner party, right? I could... You're right, bro. You're right. 100%. But that person is a fantastic person. And I hope everything happens for her as she plans in her life. Because she's amazing. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, man. Uh, Denver. So first off, dude, Denver. What a time. Denver was one of the like most interesting times that I've ever been involved in a psychedelic conference or event. Man, super impressed. Uh, but yeah, lots of crazy parties, after parties. But then I actually saw you again, dude. What are you talking about? I saw you before. We what? were at, or I think we were at a after party at this place and it was pouring down. It was like raining, like crazy. Do you remember that? Oh, the, the, night, the night that Bonobo was supposed to be DJing, but he, that he didn't turn up. Yeah, because it was pouring, dude. It was like hailing. It was insane. No, it was dude. it was biblical. There was like yeah. Harry Styles, you know, from the one one direction was playing a concert of in Denver. It was like international news because people people got taken to hospital from they were, they were like golf balls, dude. The hailstones, and he was, was playing in the fucking Coliseum. <gasps> Harry Styles was in Denver when I was in Denver. I had, dude, I didn't even know. That's amazing. That's incredible. Fantastic. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, so that's so we actually hung out. That was the first time we hung out. And I was talking about your article to somebody. And you're like, hey, I wrote this. And I'm like, oh, you're the guy. I was talking about, uh, yeah, you put out a fantastic article in Vice. And you quoted me on it. And I was talking about that. And then you're like, I'm the guy. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it all makes sense. You are the guy. So With the Church of Solomon Foxen. Yes, 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 the Church of Solomon Douglas, or it's called the Church of Sacred Synthesis now, since they changed it uh, due to perhaps this person's help. Maybe not, maybe so. I did talk to him a bunch and I uh, sort of, you know, made them understand that you can't falsely advertise the psychedelic experience. I mean, that's the worst thing you can do. Like any sort of falsities will get exposed quickly, and they did get exposed quickly. And it's probably better for them for those things get, you know, sort of exposed quickly. And yeah, I think the whole thing sure. just exposes this forever kind of conflict, if you like, between belief and science. And mm. at the end of the day, their sacrament is their sacrament, whatever it includes. And perhaps it adds something that it's a mystery. And they, you know, they've extensively tested it on them, on themselves before they before they handed it out. Yeah, they did test it on themselves. But, I mean, to believe in something when it's scientifically proven that it isn't that, you're just like, you're, like you're just like playing yourself. You're, you're, you're basically intentionally believing in something that's just BS. Have you tried it? So, have you Im imbibed the sacrament? 
I have that. I had the opportunity to in Denver at a at a uh, party, an after party, but I couldn't quite link up with the guy because we were just you know out partying. But I was offered. I was definitely offered it, um, and I would definitely try it. Would I try it? I mean, that's first off, that's a fantastic question. Would I even try it if I was even offered it? Um, I mean, there's some evidence that shows that. Not evidence. There's a theory that shows that it could have like detrimental effects to your brain, like theoretically. And I can send you the information about it after this. But yeah, no, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen the evidence. Okay, okay cool. Yeah, you know, I, so, I, res I, res I respect that. There's definitely like a, you know, some theoretical basis that that these tryptamines might not have a good effect mm -hmm. on the brain. No doubt. For sure, yeah. And just based on that alone, and plus we haven't really researched it. There's not a lot of scientific um, data or evidence that really shows that it does anything or what it does or how it's different than what, you know, what it claims that it does. So yeah, man, it's, but still, would I try it? That's the ultimate question. Probably, man. I mean, what? no. I, dude, I don't know if I would try it or not. That, that's a great question. I don't know. I have to think about it. I mean, for me, in the course of my reporting, I felt that it would be remiss not to. Mm. And ob obviously maybe maybe that opens me up for yeah, claims of, of bias mm. or, or being conflicted. But yeah, in my experience, I tried it. It has distinct effects. Some of the criticism still stands, but for me, it's clearly a distinct experience. So for, for much of the criticism, case closed. So, do you, well, that's fantastic that you tried it. Props to you. So do you think if you like if you were given two different substances and one was that and the other was just like shrooms, do you think you could actually tell the difference based on these subjective experience of each substance? Unquestionably, because mushrooms are just more activating. It's a bit more of a coffee feeling or it can be. Um, and this is just more like DMT, dude. It's just more heart, heart opening, more expansive less less e less egoic oh wow well yeah man so i mean now i'm inclined to try it as well <laughs> peer pressure um but well, look, I mean, but look you know so, look, they, they, they played fast and loose you know I'm, i don't think they yeah, meant any man. harm but they yeah they clearly they, they, they clearly you know they clearly you know they're playing by their own rules yeah and i think they didn't handle that whole thing well um, when there was a report that came out that said that their substance was essentially the same as shrooms, they didn't really play that hand well. And I think from that reaction, I'm less inclined to try whatever they have because yeah. that wasn't a sort of level-headed response. Um, but I did give them an opportunity to sort of clean it up on Twitch. But yeah, man, it's it's I don't know, man. It's it's when see here's the thing about psychedelics is that it isn't like we're like we aren't focused on like you know colon uh, pharmaceuticals or something that has a very subjective experience you know or something very subjective or sorry a very objective experience we're, we're focusing on something that has a strong grasp of perception and whenever you have a very intense grasp of perception people hold these sort of experiences closer because they have experienced a perceptual uh, shift you know so it's it's something that it's hard to 
have an unbiased opinion about or an unbiased experience about psychedelics because that's just where it resides it resides in like priors it resides in you know what you've been up to what you've set setting you know so it becomes part of your identity because it's what you've been doing with your time i guess and we make up our own stories to rationalize our own and justify our own existence right yeah, man, dude. Yeah, for, like one hundred percent. Like to to believe that the entire extent of the psychedelic trip is just based on five HT receptors just like doing their thing in the brain. I think that's very reductionist of a view on psychedelics. And this is coming from a person who's very like I've been called that on like the Instagram, you know, on Instagram, Twitter, X. People always love to call me like, oh, that you're just a rationalist scientist it's like okay whatever bro but still yeah man i believe that the experience goes beyond activity we currently recognize in the brain currently recognize i'm not saying forever because i I think how we investigate the brain is very like we don't have the best tools basically we don't. And yeah, we just got our brains to investigate which, our own brain. Yeah, but yeah, exactly, which is a huge fundamental flaw. But even the tools that we have, like fMRI, which is fantastic, um, but it's still very isolated in like what it could do and what it can see and how and and how and what sort of you know brain um, configurations you can actually achieve. EEG, same thing. FNIRS same thing you know it, it solves some problems but still it's it's the so i think what we currently so in order to piece together let's just say for example i'm a person who believes that the entirety of a um of a of lsd trip is in the brain everything can be explained i would have to have very precise devices tools to be able to see activity and we don't have those tools yet we're we're basically developing theories with a very primitive not primitive but currently basic imaging devices that we have in the future we'll have a clearer sort of um, understanding of this experience but even then even then I would say that activity within the brain from these substances isn't, there isn't like a direct correlation. It it isn't 100%. It's based on a bunch. It's based on your priors, your upbringing, your current belief system, your idea of placebo. So yeah, it's beyond pharmacological. Yeah, but you think that we also tap into maybe a different consciousness, some sort of spiritual realm or or indeed the at the essence of of the plants or, or the substance that that can't really be scientifically measured yeah no i don't think any of that sorry so you are you are a rational materialist i'm a rationalist materialist yeah i'm a very rational materialist i i i do believe that every single psychedelic trip or experience visual perception visual disturbance auditory perception and disturbance aug- augmentations of whatever perceptual domain, whatever it is, I think that can be explained in the brain with our understanding of the brain. 
That's how. That's how it's actually happening. All right. So then, but so why is different? Why is different? Why are you seeing aliens whenever you take DMT? Well, I can tell you how, but why is a completely different question. Yeah, I mean, maybe I've seen aliens on films and stuff, but I've never seen like an iboga plant or, or the, the tribesmen from Gabon. Like I'd literally never, never looked at any documentary or read any book. And yeah, when I was with the medicine, I could see the bush that I think that the medicine had come from. And, and then, yeah, these amazing men dancing and chanting around it. Where's that? Where does that come from? Well, you understand what a bush is. Number one, it isn't like some crazy object that you haven't seen before in your life, right? No, but it's a very particular one with kind of orange fruit that I'd never, never seen before. It's like a very distinct sort of shrub. But okay, let's say that happens. I'm saying you've probably also, so having a very distinct shrub with orange things on it isn't that like extraordinary. It's just a, it's a, an object that we can easily assemble. Now, if you saw something where I saw dust that had carnivals on top of the specs, like so, something so extraordinarily bizarre that that it doesn't even exist in fiction and reality, then I would probably say, okay, that's interesting. But to see a bush is not that not that crazy, not that extraordinary. It's just not. I can tell you to imagine a, a bush with orange things, and you'll probably imagine that bush with orange things on top. So it could seem like it's very extraordinary for sure but the reason why it seems to be that it's very extraordinary is because you've had an experience in which your perception has you know completely um augmented shifted and you hold this experience also i do want to say this and i could be wrong but let's say this bush that you like saw when do you remember seeing it? Was it after the trip? Was it during the trip? Was it your recollection of the trip to somebody else? Because I'm, I'm sure while you were tripping, there was a lot of things happening. So you read, you you like sort of look back on your trip, right? I took like an audio recording. You know, I was narrating parts of it live, and you're like talking about this bush, very briefly. Very very briefly. I would love to hear about it because if it's a bush, we all understand what like you know, ayahuasca is, and if you've taken it, then you under, you've you seen bushes, you've probably walked right past bushes, you know? So it it it's something that would fit very well in, in a retelling of something that you would think would happen when it comes to, in you know, taking um, ayahuasca, you know? It's, do you know what I mean? It, it just completes the sort of story of taking ayahuasca to see a bush or to see, you know, bushes with orange things on it or whatever. So it doesn't seem that extraordinary. And I hate to sort of be the person to, to uh, tell you that, but it's not that extraordinary of a thing to see. Sure. No, I take it on the chin. It's 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 still it's still, yeah, very visceral and incredible memory. But talking about ayahuasca, I mean, one time I saw a dude literally become a snake. He was like dancing, dancing like really snakily, serpenty. And then he was slivering across the floor. And then suddenly he was like way better at guitar, like at the end, by the end of the night. What, well, like, where does, does that, does, where that, is that happen, okay. does that happen in a vacuum? Does that happen it, just it, on planet Earth? I mean, it happens with things on planet Earth. So for example, you said he was dancing like 
would you say, a python or um, snake, some type of sort of serpent creature? So he was dancing like a serpent. He, and he'd never danced. He'd never danced like that before. And and I, I think also that night, someone started speaking. Someone started singing in Spanish, and she didn't know how to speak Spanish. Yeah, maybe okay. she'd heard the song before, but it, you know, no, no, for sure, it for sounded sure. it sounded pretty fluent. Was it was it pretty fluent Spanish? Do you have it on um, tape or something? Because in religion, people speak in tongues all the time. People claim that it's like you know yeah. Aramaic or whatever, but it's just people saying words that have a sort of understanding or like makes sense in the brain, but it's just, it's really not sort of any coded language at all. That happens. That happens often in, in very perceptually altered states. It happens in many religions for sure. So if a person is taking a very powerful psychedelic, which is, you know, has distinct properties of, you know, altering perception, language, uh, disassociative thinking, then to have that thought process happen isn't really extraordinary. If a person ate like a um, beet or a um, carrot and all of a sudden they're like tripping and seeing weird um, aliens and I would say, wow, that's incredible because you ate a beet that doesn't have this sort of perceptual altering property and you had a perceptual altering you know, experience. I just had a beetroot and camembert pastry and I can admit that this conversation is definitely mind bending. <laughs> well, no. But but tell me so so what's been your most powerful or most memorable or most challenging psychedelic trip which one kind of first comes to mind? Which one that I saw like I actually witnessed or a trip that I actually had? How, whichever first comes to mind. Okay, so, okay. That's a fantastic question. I'll tell you about the worst trip that I've ever seen in my entire life. It was horrific. And it was like, wow. So this happened when I came back from the UK, uh, got a job in the East Coast of USA. I'm not going to say the place. But I was working with this person and he was like one of these guys that would burn herbs, sort of hang out, relax, chill out watch TV, watch football. I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. So on a Friday, I had salvia. Uh, and if you guys haven't heard of salvia, salvia is a very powerful kappa opioid um, agonist that's really, really intense. has DMT-like um, experiences. It's quick. It's fast. It's short-acting, but it's very, very intense. And I believe it's the only kappa opioid agonist that's a psychedelic, actually, which is pretty bizarre. But I had some. And there was a period of time where you could just buy this stuff just everywhere. You could just buy salvia and it's like, it was like perfectly fine. So I had some and I told my friend, I was with my um, other friend at the time and this other person who's the guy that burns herb and sort of hangs out and watches football. Let's just call him um, Ian. Ian comes over and we, I tell him about this salvia. And he's like, dude, of course, I've done like LSD, I've done shrooms before, whatever, bro, whatever, bro. So we put it on a bowl and we tell him to get in a bowl of um, bud, basically. So uh, bowls are um, things that you put herb in and you, you guys understand what bowls are. So we put it on top of a bowl and we told him to light a quarter of it. And he took it, took a big hit, lit the entire thing because he was just like so bold, just didn't care, lit the entire thing, inhaled the entire thing through this beautiful bong that I just got. 
And then you put it down and I'm looking at my other friend and he's looking at me and I'm like, dude, this is, this is about to blast off. And then my friend Ian goes back for a second bong hit. I'm like, what are you doing, bro? A second bong hit of the salvia. And he takes it and he clears the entire thing. Just epic, legendary proportions. And I'm like, bro, this dude is about to pop off. So he puts the bug down. And of course, it's fast acting. Boom, boom. So about 15, 20 seconds hits. And I could just tell. Whatever he was seeing in his eyes, whatever his field of vision was in my living room was just replaced. Instantly replaced. And he was sitting down at the time. And then he began to slowly approach the floor and crawl around like crawl around like uh um animal or like a cat very sort of on all four limbs back sort of like arched over very awkward way to climb and he was just or uh, crawl and he was just crawling around my floor and i'm like what is going on what is about to happen right now this dude's crawling on my floor we're like kind of like friends he's like you know cool but we're not like cool cool we're like pretty cool you know yeah i'm like okay whatever he's crawling everything's okay and then all of a sudden he pops up very quickly he pops up he just jumps up stands up and as he um pops up he hits my coffee table my coffee table falls down my bong cracks brand new bong done beer everywhere can bottles of beer everywhere just everything just cracked now the whole place smells like a giant bong and there's beer and bong and this guy's like i'm like what is happening so I'm, i just carefully swipe everything to the side and this guy begins to walk around this dude ian begins to walk around with his hands outstretched like a zombie a zombie and i'm like bro <laughs> what is going down what is happening my other friend is just like he, he isn't even helping he's just looking at everything like oh my gosh this is amazing and I, my friend ian is getting close to my tv that i just got this beautiful tv like beautiful tv and i'm like no nah, this ain't this ain't gonna happen so i get right in between him and the tv just like sort of like guarding the tv and guarding himself where he's like touching my chest and i'm like sort of trying to uh, make sure that the goalkeeper yeah exactly yeah exactly i'm like no oh, no <laughs> and then and then like he like sort of bounces off me and starts walking around and then matt the dude, something happened. And he started to just like whisper very, very faintly, help me, 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 help me. And it went from a very faint help me to screaming at the top of his lungs, help me, help me. This is like 2 a.m. Wow. On like Friday, this guy's screaming, help me in my apartment. Like that's, I don't want to, I don't want people to hear that, you know, like help me, help me, help me. And I'm like, what is happening? And he's panicking. He's like running around. He's like falling down. He drops on my sofa. The sofa cracks in half. What? Dude, I don't even know how that happened. He just dropped down to my feet, like fell down to my sofa. Is he a big guy? Not a big dude. Like not really a big guy. I mean, he's like, I'm, I'm not sure. He's like 6'2", but that's not the right measurements. But about six foot four or six six foot two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he, but he like falls down, cracks my freaking sofa. I'm like, oh my gosh, bro. And then he just like runs to a corner of my apartment and he's just crying, just bawling, dude. Tears, just, just, I mean, 
like fighting for his life tears, snot, everything, just just crying in a corner. And he's just in this fetus position saying, help me, help me, help me. But he isn't screaming anymore, sort of just like crying and saying it. So I'm like, okay, he's okay right now. He's he's fine. He's not like going around anywhere. I look around my apartment, it's just, you know, cr just crushed bong glass. It's disgusting, dude. And then he gets up and he tries to open my front door. He's trying to like fiddle through the lock. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, once he figures this out, he'll be sort of down off from this like substance. So he eventually figures out this like lock process of opening, closing, opening, closing, and then he, op he opens the door and then he just runs outside. And I'm like, no, bro, he runs outside at 2 a.m. Oh my God. He's crying, just like, I mean, if you allow me to interject, dude, like, yes, not so great space holding from you. Oh, yeah, dude. Yeah, I, I should have like, I don't know. I, I, I was just, dude, I, I was just trying to figure things out. Like, I didn't know what to <laughs> do. I, I didn't know what was happening. And he just when ran out. When was it? Was this like a while ago? This was like, yeah, this was like, I don't know, man. This is definitely pre-pandemic. Let's just call it that. And you yeah. supplied the salvia or was it your friend? Uh no, I got it. I got it from like a, a head shop, just a regular head shop. And was the plan to smoke it? You smoke it as well. Well, we were all gonna hit it. Yeah, we all actually he hit, hit it. it. He just hit it first. He just he... hit it first, and he just completely... and then he ran out the house. Where does he go? He, I, I have, I don't even know. He just run, He just ran out of the house, and I'm like, he just needs some fresh air. That's what I said. He just needs some fresh air. I, dude, I sh this is a horrible way to sort of, uh, yeah. Looking back on it, I should have been a lot more attentive to this guy's needs. But I'm not a therapist. I'm a freaking scientist. Like, I let the therapist figure sure. it out. But, um, but yeah, so he comes back in crying, bawling. He looks at my place. He's, he's actually like down now. He's down off the uh, Savi and he's just crying, tears, snot everywhere, dude, shirts all ruined. And he looks and he's like, did I do this? And I'm like, yeah, you did it. But it's fine. Relax, sit down, relax and get you some tissue. Yeah, yeah, I get yeah. him some tissue. And I'm like, That's what good. did you see? I'm like, what did you see? What did you actually see? And he told me that he was in my apartment. And then all of a sudden he was in this field and he was walking around. And he was touching grass and he looked up and he saw the like clouds part in half and um, trumpets and he saw God and he's like, it's the end. This is the end. And he freaked out because he like really wasn't prepared for the end of like everything. And he freaked out and he panicked. He was running around and that's what happened. He was just panicking. Uh, so let me finish this. Uh, story. I know it's a long story. I know it's a long story. It's, no, it's it great. right now. Okay, Captivating. cool. Cool. Uh, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, cool. Um, so, yes, so he had this very religious Christian experience, apocalyptic, very intense for a Christian to see God and um, trumpets and all this stuff. Very intense, sort of. So, about a week after that, the guy goes to freaking Alabama, relocates to Alabama, about two weeks after, relocates to Alabama. And he becomes this like ultra Christian, ultra conservative dude that's like Trump, Trump, Trump from this like very liberal uh, dude to very Christian conservative. And that was from a very intense trip. So I believe that psychedelics is this sort of positive, like floaty, like, yeah, we're all going to do kumbaya, you know, campfire. It's really not that. It's just a it's a um, amplifier of things that you could currently have with, with um, in you and, and sort of um, priors of your own experience with culture, religion and everything, which 
is to say that the trip in itself is based on things greater than just the um, LSD or the psilocybin or DMT. And so did he keep working with psychedelics after moving to Alabama? No, he wasn't working with psychedelics. We were like working at this, this crappy um, job. I'm not even going to mention it. But I mean, did he keep tripping or was it just that? No, he did. He, he seminal, gave him everything. Seminal he, experience that that then put him, put him in into like the sober path of Christianity. Yeah, it was just that experience in itself. I think it was the idea that he saw God in the world and he wasn't prepared for it as a Christian. He wasn't sort of prepared for the end and the sort of idea of salvation and leading a righteous Christian life he felt that he wasn't prepared he like wasn't on the path if the world did it in the christian capacity that he believed he said that he really wasn't prepared he felt like he wasn't prepared for the end and that's what pushed him to this very ultra you know um, christian ultra you know conservative perspective viewpoint yeah i mean it's interesting isn't it I, with the, the john hopkins study where they gave the clergy from three different religions mushrooms and yeah some of the stories they recounted at, at maps and there was just a story in a squire about the whole thing incredible really that psychedelics are bringing people of god closer to god than than they were perhaps previously honestly dude i i think that these substances alter perceptions so greatly that i think it's only a matter of time until psychedelics infiltrates religion and christianity and i shouldn't say infiltrate that's like a bad way it sort of maybe blends in with religion and 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 per perhaps in the future there will be psychoactive substances that you take before you go to um, temple or um, church or whatever religious perspective that you believe in per perhaps psychedelics will put you in a very plastic -y sort of state and a preacher's you know, or a pastor or a whoever's words and perhaps visual aspects to it could put you in a very religious, you know, headspace, which is what happened back in the day in the good Sunday experiment with um, Timothy and the other guy, Walter. Um, mm -hmm. I guess the thing was, though, was when the church was expanding hundreds of years ago and, yeah, building physical churches across Europe and elsewhere, the folks that were worshiping nature, right, out and about, mm. like outside, they they were persuaded or encouraged or forced under duress or otherwise to get inside the church. And the whole idea is that maybe there was a resistance to folks accessing God themselves, as opposed to through like an interlocutor in the form of a, a priest and a vicar. Yeah, man, God's like big business, bro. He's big. He's big business. He's bring. He brings in a bunch of cash. God, the whole idea of God, and yeah, you definitely want to corner God, the concept of, of God, so you can you know make cash. You can build giant churches or you know take over entire countries or whatever. It's big business, bro. So you have to have the substance that you could just grow and also attain this that same spiritual. I guess perspective or spiritual awakening were like free basically compared to giving tithes over and over again and donations over and over again to get this godly experience. Yeah, for sure. 
that would be banned or uh, outlawed. And plus, you have to think of the idea of sort of combining different gods and all this stuff. You know, psychedelic experience isn't so straightforward, obviously. There's a lot of things that we see and entities that we see and colors, and they probably... So yeah, yeah, for sure. So on the topic of rational materialism, is there a, is there a god inside us or, or in, in another realm that, <laughs> that these psychedelics kind of catalyze... Of communion with Jeez, these questions matt what are you doing to me bro um is there a god within within us that we connect with when we do psychedelics is what you're asking right pretty much okay well then then i'm gonna have to be like one of those annoying people to find god i guess god is in the hindu religion obviously god is broken up into archetypes and shiva is consciousness so i guess along that thread the idea that god is this sort of universal consciousness that may exist in the ether in nature in the in the clouds and has a level of omniscience like all-knowingness and perhaps a level of omnipotence or all level of all having all power yeah so it sounds like you're describing our current understanding of observable reality um, in the sense that it exists, it's old, it has, you know, it's been here for a very long time. So I think a lot of religion is just trying to explain concepts about reality in which science is trying to assess via math and things that are sort of more structured around concrete evidence. You want to keep on going on that? I mean, yeah, I, I was, I was waiting, I was okay, waiting yeah, for yeah. the punchline. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> so, yeah, man, it's, it's, I, I think so. And I see the thing is, is, I don't really have any beef with like religion. That isn't like who I am. I have a degree in religion, actually. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, I have, a, I have a bachelor's in religion and in psychology and all these. But, Religion is a very poetic way to explain the unknowns of the universe. And science is slowly creeping up on an actual explanation for events that happen in our environment, in our reality, in our life. That's what's happening. Like back in the day, religion could explain why there's thunder and and you know storms and lightning they had a great explanation it was sort of this activity between god or gods or they're fighting and people just believe like oh we didn't sacrifice enough corn we, we didn't give enough something to this um, god that's the reason why it's pouring down rain that that was the basis of religion but with science we understand actually why it's like pouring down and why it's we can even predict when it will actually happen so i think whenever you start to creep up on an entire systematic belief of reality with actual like concrete evidence in fact yeah it's going to be met with resistance and it's going to be sort of pitted against each each other but there's still wonders in the world and reality it isn't like science has solved everything there's scientific unknowns that are just beautiful incredible mm -hmm. and we still can find awe in life in 
science for sure. Science is just a way to understand what we understand. So just one more big question and then we can just shoot the ship for a while and, yeah. and then it's over. Scientific advancement the last 30, 40 years, like incredible, unbelievable, and even phones, right? Like who'd have imagined I'd have this like incredible device of this cinematic video camera right here in palm of my hand, even 10, 15, 20 years ago. So do you think maybe in 50 years, based on like brain scans and a whole other load of assessments, we could actually predict what happens in someone's particular psychedelic trip? Or, or will that always be a kind of unknown dependent on, on the environment and everything that ensues? Yeah, man, that's a great question. And uh, that's, that's going to sound well, but that's currently what I'm working on. I'm but working sure. on, yeah, I'm, I'm working on the ability. So I'm working, so, okay, there's a lot that I'm working on, but I'm working on the ability to see a person's trip and to recreate that actual trip. But first we have to understand like what it is in the brain, what's happening, the activity. And that's what I'm currently working on. Uh, will I get to that point? I think if I don't get to it, someone definitely will that uses my research or uses, you know, people's mm -hmm. people that are doing visual perception research. I, I, I think it's something that we will be able to understand, which is fantastic. I mean, how cool would it be if you take LSD and like Greece while you're, you know, sailing or something and you could take that experience and just give it to someone else that perhaps don't have the um, ability to to um, travel across the planet to experience LSD. Perhaps they're uh, terminally um, ill, you know, and they would love to have these experiences. So, yeah, it's possible. It's definitely possible. With what we have right now, the tech that we have right now, it it no, it is not possible. But tech is improving. Ethnir's tech is improving, like tremendously. And currently we can see things that happen in the brain with FNRs. We can see about four or five distinct things that happen in the brain whenever a person trips or whenever a person sees anything, basically. And also the idea of like seeing is interesting too, because you could see something like a blue truck. And then we can see that activity in the brain. And then I can say, Matt, close your eyes and just think of a blue truck, just imagine a blue truck. And if you do that, we can see the same brain activity with a brain area activating, which is interesting because our brain really can't tell the difference between thinking that we're seeing something and actually seeing something. This is what they kind of did in a study that Shayla Love wrote about in Wired. They gave folks ketamine but to avoid the placebo effect, they had like a control group and a dose group that they gave them all anesthetic. And yeah, similar things were happening in all their in all their minds, regardless of the anesthetic. Yeah. Not not for not for the placebo group, of course, but the folks that got the yeah. got the ketamine. So it doesn't actually matter if you're awake, really. Either. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, true. And, and like that's that's the thing. Like it you can take away, but but here's the, the thing also that is very interesting about visual perceptual research is that people that are born blind 
and they take um, LSD, for example, they don't have a visual trip. So, and that's the thing, that's what I'm talking about, like priors, you have to have an understanding of visual reality for you to have a visual trip. And if you don't have an understanding of visual reality, if you don't have visual perception, if, you, if you're born blind, then you won't have an actual visual trip at all. You'll have a trip for sure, but you won't have a visual trip. So while yes, you know, there, I don't know, it's, it's, man, it's visual, like the understanding of, of a visual trip, a visual experience is so complex. It's so wild. It's based on computational things. It's based on, you know, all these different sensory domains and, and, and perspectives, but yeah, man, it's, it's pretty wild stuff, but I do have a paper coming out about this actually. Um, it's being peer reviewed right now. And I think hopefully it comes out around December and I talk about all this stuff, but I talk about the idea of vision playing a role in an actual trip. All right. Wow. Yeah. So keep me posted for sure. And yeah, I guess all this leads me to wonder what first got you interested in psychedelics? I know, yeah, you're putting so much of, of your work and yeah, your life in, into this now. I can sense, you know, how passionate you are. I've seen it, seen it in real life. I know, I know that, yeah, you're big, personality and charming nature is really striking people partly po po possibly because you know a lot of other people are squares in the space but that is very true about <laughs> but no not not to discredit you whatsoever so what what was it what was the lightning rod well lightning rod to myself getting into psychedelic science or the idea of psychedelics altering perception well, that's a good question, man. So I went to the University of Arizona and I was like, I was so happy to get there. Bachelor's in psychology. I was interning at this like lab. I'm doing research in a sleep lab and an animal lab, all this stuff, just getting all, just like reading books, going to classes, loving everything, loving psychology. And then I was at a party one time and my friend, he gives me five grams of dried shrooms in a bag. And I didn't even know what these things were. I was just like, all right, yeah, sure. I'll take them. I knew that in college, you're supposed to experiment. But I, you know, I experimented with my brain, which is probably not the best thing to do, but I did it anyway, whatever. And yeah, man, I had a very intense trip. I was at a party. People were playing beer pong, beer pong. The people playing beer pong turn into these like colorful like like um, orbs or blobs just sort of bouncing around floating around conversations were just absolutely absurd just everything was just like bonkers wow so i like walked outside you had the whole five grams and the whole five grams you the entire that was my first trip five wow. grams of dry shrooms just in a, in a in a bag with a blue sort of seal it on on top i just i just ate it because i'm like five grams so like this is easy it's like what is this you know but yeah man it was a pretty intense experience i i remember being like outside i was sitting down and man i was just trying to just take in everything i mean to have five grams of shrooms just is very overwhelming so i sat down and my friend sarah who i'm still friends with she comes up and she's like gives me a little shoulder massage and when she's doing this like 
I, I looked up and I just saw, oh my gosh, man, I saw like this, I, I saw a bunch, but I distinctly remember seeing this entity, this figure, giant, giant figure, massive, like the, the size of, of a building, like an apartment building was floating in the sky, very close to me. Um, and it was composed of these black and white ribbons, basically, just sort of not dancing, but just sort of floating or existing. And I could see its arms, its waist, its shoulders, its head. But I couldn't see the actual face of this thing. It was just this very humanoid figure that was composed of black and white ribbons. And I, I, it was, it changed my entire life. So after that experience, about a month later, I added religion as a second bachelor's. I added religion because I believe that the full psychedelic experience, in order to understand the full psychedelic experience, you have to include religion or spirituality or sort of a other worldly belief combined with things like psychology. So I just graduated with, with both. And that was sort of the beginning of my pursuit to understand this experience in a very objective way. That's the thing. Like I'm focused on the actual trip completely, but I'm focused on it from a very objective way. So there aren't many scientists that are focusing on the subjective experience. There, there just isn't. There's a lot of people focusing on how these you know, substances can help with depression, anxiety, which is fantastic, by the way. But I'm focused on the actual trip itself. Yeah, and it's, fun. And, it, and it's fun as well, right? It's fun, yeah. But in order to understand the trip, Matt, we have to understand the science behind the trip. We have to respect the actual science of the trip. And that's the reason why I'm sort of so, you know, hard and rational or whatever you want to call me on X or Twitter or whatever it's called. Amazing. Yeah, no, you, you're pretty outspoken. Yeah, man, someone, someone told me that... Uh, Thank you, I think. I'm pretty sure that's that's a compliment. But if it isn't, it's just a statement. That's cool, too. I I, I was in Vermont uh, about a month ago, uh, right after Berlin. And I gave a you know presentation. And then somebody in the audience came up to me afterward. And they told me that, Zeus, you're controversial. You're just well-spoken. And I was like, dang, bro, that hit home. Have you taken any controversial home. positions, though? The way I'm controversial in psychedelics is that I go against a belief that people have that claim that when you do psychedelics, you go to different places, you go to different dimensions, or you see actual entities or aliens, or you 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 like acquire some some twelfth sense, or you can you know look at the future, or you can predict things. All of that is pseudoscience BS. I'm sorry. It's pseudoscience BS. And I won't I won't stand for it. But it but look, I, do... I saw that bush in Gabon. Okay, sure. All right. Sure, and okay. I didn't I'm sure that bush in Gabon before. And perhaps you did see it, you know, perhaps you did see it. And I'm not saying that you didn't see it. I'm saying that these experiences that we have are very, of course, you see things for for sure. You even talk to things. But these things aren't externally sourced from some other layer of reality or dimension or 
different beings traveling through portals. That's all BS. But for you to see something like a fairy and you talk to this, you know, um, fairy or this DMT elf and you have a conversation with it and it teaches you something or it opens up something that helps you or that changes your life or whatever. And that experience is still very real to you because it had a profound impact on yourself. And that's beautiful. That's amazing. Like I wouldn't be against that ever. And for anyone to improve their entire life based on a trip, that's fantastic. But you aren't giving your brain enough credit in the sense that your brain, yourself, you're capable of doing fantastic things, incredible things. So give yourself some credit because it's all within yourself. It's just, yeah, what is like the source of this vision, this information, right? It, it just it just comes down to that. And that's a very difficult question to definitively answer, possibly impossible. I don't think it's impossible. I, I, I really don't, man. And I'm, I'm sorry, man. I don't think it's impossible. I think that to understand the, the exact origins of this experience, okay, that may be difficult the exact areas of the brain, or perhaps there's a sort of combination of the uh, gut, you know, working or some type of other body parts working in conjunction to create this experience. It's also based on priors also, but to think that the source comes from some other external source, I think that's, we, we don't have enough evidence scientifically to even come close to proving that correct. And the fact that we don't is a huge indicator that perhaps it's either BS or we haven't developed the sort of the precision of tools to to find this sort of answer. But I think it's just BS. I mean, it's just kind of interesting that, as you're saying, the DMT elves or with ayahuasca, if people see women goddesses from from the Amazon or whether it's with my Iboga bush or whether it's with all manner of particular things that come up with trips with particular medicines drugs and it seems that yeah lots of people are having those experiences right like it's more likely you see an elf with a dmt it's more likely you see a like quechua pahe mm. charwoman with ayahuasca it's like maybe that does all just come from what people read in books before the trip or something but many of the people as I say, said earlier, didn't maybe do that sort of specific visual research be beforehand. So where where are these kind of images coming from, basically? Okay, so, okay, and, and I, 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 I totally understand that. I understand where you come from. If I tell you, if I tell anyone watching this to say, I want you to imagine a tribal scene in the forest and I give you time to imagine it, and you, let's say you haven't been in the forest with a um, tribe at all. You haven't. This is yeah, I, have, just, I haven't. So yeah. I'm just thinking about Crash Bandicoot. Which but is a, I, which is a thing great... Is, the thing is, when I you know drank ayahuasca, I never thought about Crash Bandicoot. But you... Yeah, and, and I wish we could think about Crash every single day because that's a fantastic franchise. I love that but, noise as well. Yeah. 
I mean, dude, yeah, I love that game. By the way, I think they should totally bring it back. Uh, it has a huge fan base. Making it, make an entire film on it. Um, but you will still see this sort of stereotypical depiction of tribes and forests. We, 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 we all sort of we we're able to construct scenarios based on what we understand of the topics and the, and the uh, themes. You know, so you don't have to look at a book and understand which bush is what or which tribe is wearing whatever adornment you could just develop a you know perspective or sort of a um, scenario of like archetypes because you just heard tribal and force and you could sort of assemble this image whether it's crash bandicoot or whether it's whatever so that's the thing man psychedelics only aligns us with what we understand of our own reality but if I give you LSD, Matt, like four hits of LSD, I'm like, let's just go crazy. Friday night, boom, four hits of, of uh, LSD. And then you begin to speak like, you know, Creole French perfectly. Or you can draw like a professional. Or you can, or you like understand, you know, 60 Turkish poetry. Then I would say psychedelics is doing something that is bringing an external source to you. But all you're doing is you're just amplifying what you understand. It's like, you, it isn't gonna make you a great painter. It's not gonna give you abilities or skills. So the idea of an external source giving you something or influencing something doesn't quite hold up because everything can be explained internally because we're all humans and we all have brains that are fundamentally the same. Like, that's the thing. If we take a certain psychedelic and we have a shared experience, a very similar experience with a certain psychedelic, is, does, does that mean that we all, we all you know, travel to a different dimension or a different portal and talk to the same, you know, whatever? Or perhaps it's that we do have fundamentally the same brain and we take fundamentally the same substance and we're all human. And perhaps like when you, when you eat a piece of cake, it's going to taste sweet. Or if you eat a potato chip, it's going to taste salty. These are fundamental like things that happen perceptually. And it shows us that we're all human, which is should be encouraging. But instead, it's sort of, you know, fighting between, oh, it's, it's you know, external. It's, it's, it's all within us, guys. It's all within us. And that should really empower us to, 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 to realize the entire psychedelic experience is within every human being equally. You can give a person in, in um, Iceland or a person in India or a person in, in, in uh, Ireland, you know, four tabs of LSD and they're gonna have a very perceptual experience. And it's it, 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 because we're all humans. We all have five-inch receptors. We all have cortical regions. We all have visual cortexes. We all have, you know, sing, um, singular cortexes, thalamus, thal, um, you know, all this stuff. Tholomy, hypothalami. We all have fundamentally the same working components, like a computer. If you put software in a computer, then it's going to probably run the same in every computer. Yeah, there could be computers that have, you know, malfunctions or bugs or, you know, perhaps they didn't install correctly, but generally they do, you know? Same thing with psychedelics. <laughs> Guys, we're all human beings. And like you were saying about beings. the controversy stuff. So what, you've 
a like large majority of people in the psychedelic scene kind of believe in this subjective woo uh you know we're, we're tapping into source man yeah yeah is that, I mean, that what you're suggesting yeah based on the internet and i'm not saying the internet's like a sort of great representation of the planet most of the planet isn't on the internet or they just they're not on as much as you know some people are so but the whole psychedelic scene, let, let's just say that, the whole scene, the people that are involved and interested in psychedelics, and this is sort of this is a great combination of a lot of people, you know, attorneys, artists, you know, scientists. But the general consensus from what I've seen is that people believe that when you do something like DMT and you perhaps talk to a DMT alpha entity or you know, alien, that these things are actually real things and that our brain's tapping into some different reality or dimension through a portal. Okay, the reason why you believe that is because you've had a substance that greatly affects perception. Once again, if you had a freaking green apple and you ate half of it, and all of a sudden you're seeing, you know, infinite fractals, then I'm like, that's an incredible apple. But you're having a psychedelic, which we have so much proof, so much fMRI, EEG, fNIRS, proof of the brain activating in certain ways to elicit a psychedelic trip. Let's say, for example, you took you you took whatever you you ate you, you had a pill boom, and then your brain seemed relatively the same, but then you're perceptually seeing all these things. That would be amazing because that would mean that whatever you took didn't have any feedback with your brain, and that the feedback was some external feedback that happens with outside of the body. But we have so much internal you know um, feedback data. From psychedelics that shows us that it's all internal. So the we're doing our, we're doing we're doing the the capabilities of our imagination, and yeah, the capabilities of our brain a disservice. You're saying basically by by suggesting that that we're tapping into something else, and you know I'm open minded. I do, I just think that the themes the themes that are related to to each each psychedelic in terms of the trip reports. I, I I don't know. I'm just skeptical about whether that just comes from oh, ayahuasca comes from the jungle. So I, I'm thinking about my representation of a jungle, and you know LSD comes from the lab and is a bit more electric. I, I don't know. I'm look, I'm open minded. It's down to you to prove it, buddy. Yeah, man. That's and look, that's literally what I'm doing every single day. I'm I'm like you know conducting this research. I'm writing articles. I'm publishing papers. I'm trying to get people to understand just fun, seeing the thing, just the fundamental understanding of, of, for example, vision and things like predictive processing, which is saying that we actually, actually, before we even see, like, we see, like, our brain predicts what we see before we even actually see it. That happens daily hourly by the second our brains actively predicting what we're going to see before we even see it the reason why is because it's for our brain to conserve um energy electricity blood oxygen 
our brain has to conserve itself. So in order for us for this to happen, it predicts perception before we actually get the perception. And that's something that I tell people that they're like, oh my gosh, what are you talking about? Like, wait, we predict what we see before we even see? Yes, we all do. That's incredible. That's happening daily, daily. Right now, even right now, the, the um, table that you're on right now, your laptop, you don't have to continuously calculate the color of your laptop, the color of your desk, the color of your walls, because you understand things like physics and colors aren't gonna just rapidly change. The sh um, structure of a table isn't gonna just fall down to like a puddle or anything. So your brain doesn't have to put energy towards calculating every single detail. It just creates assumptions that we just operate on. Because the brain would get tired, right? If, if it just kept on having to, yeah, recreate something that we've already seen a million times. But I, I guess, yeah, would there be more kind of fractal glitches when, when, yeah, I guess the cat, the cat ah. does knock, knock over my frisbee, and I just didn't notice because I was like, you know, in the other room when it happened. Yeah, but the thing is, is like having a frisbee on the floor or the um, ground that isn't that big of an energy conservation, and, and or sorry, that isn't that big of an energy use because you're applying your idea of physics that sometimes things fall uh, down. You know, they fall down and they drop. You know, perhaps if your frisbee turned into some huge orange pool of candy that was floating in the sky, then that would be like, oh my gosh, your brain has to put, you know, as much information and, and, and effort as possible to try to predict what's happening. But the thing is, with this prediction, with our brain constantly predicting things, there are theories that show or that say that because of this process, this very unique process that our brain has, that psychedelics actually affects the accuracy of the prediction and it becomes less of a you know sort of um, arbiter of truth because it's tripping like when you trip it isn't just yourself tripping it's your entire body's tripping your brain tripping every brain cells are tripping brain areas are tripping so so is, is there is there endogenous dmt last question quick take does does the uh, body produce DMT? Does it does does the levels of DMT within me regulate my experience of conscious reality? Bro, our body produces a lot of stuff constantly. Our our, our body has its own version of amphetamine and cocaine, its own version that it produces. So for our body to produce DMT, yeah, it, it probably produces DMT. And and does it does it have any sort of effect on your consciousness? Perhaps we don't we don't have much research on endogenous DMT. We just don't. So we can't call those shots, but we can say that our body is like a chemical factory, just always just dude, always cranking out something by accident, on purpose, by probability. So perhaps, and I'm I'm gonna say yes. I'm gonna even say yes. We have D we have DMT like compounds floating in our body that would pass off as DMT. All right, you heard it here first. Thanks so much for chatting, dude. I'm re really, really glad we made it. Yeah, man. Thank you. It was fun, dude. I'm, I'm happy that I talked to you.